So yes, today's reading is Joshua chapter 8. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourselves. Set an ambush behind the city. So Joshua and the whole army moved out to attack Ai. He chose 30,000 of his best fighting men and sent them out at night with these orders. Listen carefully. You are to set an ambush behind the city. Don't go very far from it. All of you be on the alert. I and all those with me will advance on the city. And when the men come out against us, as they did before, we will flee from them. They will pursue us until we have lured them away from the city. For they will say, they are running away from us as they did before. So when we flee from them, you are to rise up from ambush and take the city. The Lord your God will give it into your hand. When you have taken the city, set it on fire. Do what the Lord has commanded. See to it. You have my orders. Then Joshua sent them off. And they went to the place of ambush and lay in wait between Bethel and Ai, to the west of Ai. But Joshua spent that night with the people. Early the next morning, Joshua mustered his army, and he and the leaders of Israel marched before them to Ai. The entire force that was with him marched up and approached the city and arrived in front of it. They set up camp north of Ai with the valley between them and the city. Joshua had taken about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai to the west of the city. So the soldiers took up their positions with the main camp to the north of the city and the ambush to the west of it. That night, Joshua went into the valley. When the king of Ai saw this, he and all the men of the city hurried out early in the morning to meet Israel in battle at a certain place overlooking the Arabah. But he did not know that an ambush had been set against him behind the city. Joshua and all Israel let themselves be driven back before them, and they fled towards the wilderness. All the men of Ai were called to pursue them, and they pursued Joshua and were lured away from the city. Not a man remained in Ai or Bethel who did not go after Israel. They left the city open and went in pursuit of Israel. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Hold out towards Ai the javelin that is in your hand, for into your hand I will deliver the city. 
So Joshua held out towards the city the javelin that was in his hand. As soon as he did this, the men in the ambush rose quickly from their position and rushed forward. They entered the city and captured it and quickly set it on fire. The men of Ai looked back and saw the smoke of the city rising up into the sky, but they had no chance to escape in any direction, for the Israelites who had been fleeing towards the wilderness had turned back against their pursuers. For when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that smoke was going up from the city, they turned round and attacked the men of Ai. Those in the ambush also came out of the city against them so that they were caught in the middle with Israelites on both sides. Israel cut them down, leaving them neither survivors nor fugitives. But they took the king of Ai alive and brought him to Joshua. When Israel had finished killing all the men of Ai in the fields and in the wilderness where they had chased them, and when every one of them had been put to the sword, all the Israelites returned to Ai and killed those who were in it. Twelve thousand men and women fell that day, all the people of Ai. For Joshua did not draw back the hand that held out his javelin until he had destroyed all who lived in Ai. But Israel did carry off for themselves the livestock and plunder of this city as the Lord had instructed Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a permanent heap of ruins, a desolate place to this day. He impaled the body of the king of Ai on a pole and left it there until evening. At sunset, Joshua ordered them to take the body down from the pole and throw it at the entrance of the city gate. And they raised a large pile of rocks over it, which remains to this day. Then Joshua built on Mount Ebal an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the Israelites. He built it according to what is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no iron tool had been used. On it, they offered to the Lord burnt offerings and sacrificed fellowship offerings, and there, in the presence of the Israelites, Joshua wrote on stones a copy of the law of Moses. All the Israelites, with their elders, officials and judges were standing on both sides of the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, facing the Levitical priests who carried it. Both the foreigners living among them and the native-born were there. Half the people stood in front of Mount Gerizim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had formerly commanded when he gave instructions to bless the people of Israel. Afterwards, Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curses, just as it is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, but Joshua did not read to the whole assembly of Israel, including the women and children and the foreigners who lived among them. This is the word of the Lord.
So while um, I was at my home church um, a good few years ago, um, <coughs> I need this for later, <laughs> uh, I became involved in the uh, church's guild. Now, our guild was not like what you would think of as the stereotypical guild of old ladies making tea. Our members actually were really quite varied in age. Uh, and it was a really vibrant, um, proactive group, especially for like fundraising for all our projects. Now, in my last year uh, at John Lewis, uh, I applied actually for a job um, with the Church of Scotland as the National Guild's Associate Secretary. And I had so many ideas We don't want a big dunt. <laughs> ah, the Lord going, <laughs> um, Yeah, so I had so many ideas of how the guilds could reach out to a younger demographic, um, how they could attract new members. Um, and as I worked in communications, especially digital communications, many of my ideas were for the digital space. Now, I went into this interview, like, fully prepared, and I was like, oh, like, I gave it everything, you know, I really gave it everything, and I thought I had blown them away with my passion, my energy, and my vision for the future. And I probably did blow them away, but probably not for the right reasons, you know. I did not get the job, but I was so disappointed. I really was, you know. But knowing what I know now, and having visited a number of guilds over the past few years in my capacity as a trainee minister, I actually realised that um, they weren't ready for my ideas, you know. They really weren't ready for my vision either, you know. I realised, what I know now is, is my home church's guild was not the norm. Many of the guilds are actually older ladies making tea, <laughs> getting together. Um, and many were not digitally literate as I would have needed them to be if they had taken me on and they had went with my vision. Uh, yes. So I didn't appreciate or understand, actually, the heritage of the guilds. You know, I just enjoyed it at my home church, but I didn't actually understand that in many churches there had actually, there was the, the women's guild, but there was also a young women's guild, you know, a young women's or a young a young women's group. So they were for the younger ladies, and then you got to be a certain age, and then you were invited into the the, the women's guild as it was then. So the job was not for me. It was not my time. It was not God's time, and it was not God's plan. God's plan was for me to train and to enter ministry and eventually to come here. <laughs> and in God's time and within God's plan, actually, so, so it was to train and enter ministry. And in God's time and within God's plan, 
I actually was able to share my ideas within the digital space through Sanctuary First when I went to work with them uh, during my training. And uh, I was able to also develop my passion for um, building digital community um, through Sanctuary First. And it was actually in Sanctuary First as well, I was able to develop and share um, my creative writing. Now, this is something that I've always wanted to do for years and years, but I didn't actually have the opportunity or the platform. Yes, I did use my writing skills within my work in communications and John Lewis, but I had wanted to write more reflectively and creatively. And every single year, if you look in all my notebooks, you'll see that my goals for my for the year, they always included like creative writing. But I never had the opportunity to do it. But then whenever I was working with Sanctuary First, I was able to. And and what I've come to realise is, is that you can have a heart for something. You can want to do something. You can have a vision for something. But it will only happen when it's the right time. And that right time is God's time. And I used to get so frustrated. I'd be jealous of people doing what I wanted to be doing. I'd covet their success. And I have to say that woman that got that job at the Guild, I was like, I was like, yeah, I was jealous of that. But, real, but realising that things have to be in God's time, that happen in God's time, well, that has been so freeing. It's released me from being jealous of others. It's released me from being hard on myself. And it's freed me from any disappointments that I was carrying. Now, I share this with you because this week, I've continued to think about Achan, who we heard about last week in Joshua 7. And if you remember in Joshua 6, two weeks ago, <laughs> God told the Israelites that all things in Jericho had to be given over to him, devoted to him, and nothing was to be taken by individuals. But Achan had taken some of the devoted things. He'd seen, he'd seen the beautiful robe from Babylonia and he'd wanted it. He'd seen the 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels. He'd coveted them and he took them. And as a result, he was put to death. Now in Joshua 8, which Jeremy read for us there, we actually then now have the Lord giving permission from the Israelites to take the plunder for themselves once the city of Ai is destroyed. In verses 1 to 2, it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack Ai. For I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. You shall, do to, you shall do to Ai and its king as you did to Jericho and its king, except that you may carry off their plunder and livestock for yourself. Set an ambush behind the city. If only Achan had waited. 
If only he had obeyed, then he could have taken the plunder of AI. He could have taken the plunder and would not have been punished. If only he had waited for God's timing, he would not have lost his life. Some commentators have suggested that God must know, must have know, must know that the God, that the Israelites would still covet, and so gave them grace to take plunder from AI. But I think the reason God allowed them to take the plunder at AI, but not at Jericho, is to highlight the importance of obeying God's word, and for us to understand that things happen in God's timing, according to his plan, not ours. And that includes the bestowing of blessings and the answers to prayers. And it isn't just Achan. The last time the Israelites attacked Ai, they did not consult God. In Joshua 7, God did not tell them to go and capture Ai, and they sure didn't pray about it. The Israelites rushed ahead, out with God's plan, out with God's timing, and without God's power. No wonder they were defeated. If only they had waited for God's timing and God's plan. But in Joshua 8, God tells the Israelites to take Ai and gives them a plan. And there is a lesson here for us, not just the Israelites. Be careful in taking action if you have not heard from God or you have not prayed about it. It sounds so simple, but I know personally that we don't always do that, do we? Now, I said God gave the Israelites a plan, but it appears like within the text It's not a detailed plan, a general plan. You know, the general plan to to have an ambush. And is it that God gives a general plan and then trusts Joshua with the details? It could be said that God always allows us to make choices, but that we should first pray and always pray about them. So in verses 1 to 2, God tells the Israelites, go and attack Ai, that the city will be delivered to them. The ambush is mentioned, but, you know, not a lot of details are given. And then in verses 3 to 8, Joshua gives detailed orders to the Israelites. In verses 9 to 17, Joshua and the Israelites obey God. In verses 18 to 19, God instructs Joshua to hold out a javelin towards Ai, and the men in the ambush capture the city. But take a look again at verse 19. Joshua's on the other side of the city from the men who were to ambush the city. How did the men in the ambush know that Joshua actually held up the javelin? God said that he would deliver the city to the Israelites. And God was the only one who could see everything. He was above and could see everything. And so it's God then that alerted the men to capture the city. Joshua held the javelin, but it was God who orchestrated the ambush. The Israelites could not have captured Ai 
without God's help. So perhaps then this shows that God was in the details after all. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the structure um, of the text um, and whenever it was Jericho and that perhaps actually God had given all the details at the beginning and all the orders at the beginning. And it seems again, this might be the case here. Dale Raff Davis says that part of chapter eight is written in a style to offer artistic praise to God. The story is not mere praise, but well-constructed praise. The ambush is, as previously stated, God's command, not a clever thought from Israel. The ambush, though, is merely mentioned in verse 2. And then next, Joshua spells out some details in verses 3 to 9. For example, when Joshua and the men draw Ai's defenders away, the ambushers are to take the city and to set it on fire. That's all. Then in the report of the actual attack in verses 20 to 26, we're told that Ai's forces were caught between the ambushers and Joshua's counter-attack. This, says Davis, is good storytelling. If the writer had included all the Lord's instructions and not just the mention of the ambush at the start, then there would have been no suspense, no curiosity of what would happen next. So the writer narrates the praise of God, but also keeps it interesting at the same time. I think that given the fact that the, Israels, the Israelites had made a mess of it when they went on their own to capture AI in chapter 7, I think that actually because of that, they went on their own and made a mess of it. But now they're doing it under God's steam. I think that Ralph, Dale Ralph Davis might be right when he suggests that God has given them the full plan at the beginning. Just like at Jericho, it is through the will and power of God that the Israelites are successful in capturing AI. They, ca they capture AI in God's timing and through God's plan, not their own. Doing things with God in God's timing, with God's plan, is reiterated within the last five verses of chapter 8. This win at AI, thanks to the power of God after the previous defeat, reinforces to the Israelites that they are indeed God's chosen people. God has a plan for them. They are only successful though when they pray, when they listen and when they obey the word of God. Now in chapter 5 we had the covenant signs of circumcision and the Passover. And in the writing of the law on the stone here in this chapter and the reading of the law to the people, we have the symbolic reminder of God's covenant with the people of Israel. This covenant renewal ceremony in the shadow of the two mountains is actually near Shechem. 
And that highlights that Israel's success is not just about defeating Canaanites, but in everyone's submission to the word of God. At the climax of the ceremony, Joshua reads all the words of the law. And it's important to note how the text emphasizes that all the word was applicable to all the people. The law is for everyone. God's word is for everyone. The leaders, the housewives, the children, the native-born Israelites, the foreigners who live among them. The law is not merely some official record for the archives, but a lively, personal, living word for shaping the lives of all. This covenant renewal ceremony stresses the demand for the people of God to, to submit to the word of God. But this ceremony is also a witness to the faithfulness of God. And it's significant that this ceremony is held at Shechem between these two mountains. Because it was here that Abraham had first received the promise of land in Genesis 12, verses 6 to 7. And it was here that Jacob had returned safely after a long period of exile from the land he had been promised. And now in Joshua 8, here is Abraham's seed. Here is Jacob's family in the promised land, the promised place experiencing the fulfillment of God's promise of the land. This highlights that God always has a plan, but things happen in God's timing, not ours. Our God is faithful. Our God is good. God is faithful and he loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus as an example of for us how to live. He loves us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross and cleanse us of our sins, to reconcile us to our Father so as that we can live eternally with our Father God. Our Father God is faithful. And we are his people. So let the example of the Israelites renew and deepen your relationship with your Father God. This week, friends, I encourage you to fully submit to God's love and include him in all aspects of your life. Be in conversation and prayer and sit and dwell in his word. Be aware of the little things that you might be tempted to leave God out of. The little things that you think that you can handle yourself. And be aware of the big things. The big things that cause you to stress, that cause you to worry, that cause you pain. Give them to your Father God. 
and trust in his faithfulness. Trust that he will deliver in his time and within his plan. And most importantly, friends, give thanks. Give thanks for all the blessings and the abundance that God gives you each and every day.